Hello, friends, and welcome to the table tonight. We are super just privileged and honored to have you here, and it's really a gift to be able to share this space every week. Um, this morning, I was sitting in my bedroom, and I was just looking out our window, and um, we have some tall trees in our front yard, and, um, you know, typically during the summer, it's just a canopy of leaves, but um, right now, of course, it's winter time, and there's no leaves on the trees, and they're barren, it's typically not my favorite time of year. It's, it's just, I, I have trouble appreciating the beauty of winter, um, but in this moment, I looked out my window, and, you know, today, this morning especially, was just a cloudy day. It looked very gray and I was missing, you know, the sunlight that typically pours in through my bedroom window in the morning. But without the leaves there, I could actually see the sky and I could see these clouds. And in between the lines of clouds, it was, you know, these, it was just so obvious that the sun was behind it and you know, kind of breaking through these little slits. And you could just see it, that it was just as if something was hiding it, you know? And I could not help but in that moment think of how many times in my life there's this feeling of like, we're on our own <laughs> and it's hard, you know? Like times can get discouraging, life can be troubling. Um, and recently, that has been true, you know, at large in our society, in the world we're living in. Um, and I took such encouragement from that moment because I just had this thought of, oh, man, for a minute there, I thought the sun was gone. I thought there wasn't any sun. And then I had this visual of where it really was like, oh, it's been there the whole time. There were just other things in its way, you know, kind of distracting from its presence, but that actually didn't mess with the reality of the sunlight at all. Um, and I just share that image with you guys as um, just a word of encouragement that despite what things may look like on the outside, we are still being held. And there can be this fear that somehow God has left the room at times when it looks so bleak or so dark or so gray. And I just want us to take this thought into the service with us tonight that he is still here. He has not left. And um, he is still working just as much when it's obvious and evident as he is when it's not so obvious and not so evident. And um I just want us to cling to that together and really just allow that to be a reminder to open our hearts and our posture to what God is doing around us and to just ask that he would awaken us and make us come alive to that reality. So um, for tonight, I think I'm going to save our announcements and some of the details that are going on. We definitely want to give you details about the book club that's coming up this next month in February and all of that. And I'll come back to that and we'll post links and all of that. But right now, I just wanted to pray and for us to be able to transition into a time of worship together. 
And um, we're going to let Mindy and Melody lead us in that. But would you just open your heart with me and um, let's um, engage the work that God has for us tonight. God, I just thank you. I just thank you for the reminder that you do not leave us. You do not forsake us. And that you're doing things even when we cannot see. That you are always actually doing things that we have no idea of, that we are completely unaware of. So, um, God, I just cling to that truth right now and um, just invite you um, and give you full permission to continue working even now during this time together. And um, would you make our hearts sensitive to the work that you are doing? And we thank you for the table. We thank you for the people gathered here, each one, wherever they may sit right now. God, I ask that they would feel your nearness and your presence and the hope that you are still at work. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, table friends. Um, we're excited to be together again. And um, I'm Mindy, if we haven't met, and this is my sister, Melody. Hello. Um, we are just jamming together here at our house and hope that you guys can join in as we um, sing through a few songs. But before we do, I just wanted to read a few verses out of Lamentations. Um, I came across them earlier this week when a friend posted them, and I looked them up in the message translation and just felt like it was one of those passages that felt so familiar. Do you ever have those where you read a verse and it's like, yep, yep, I relate. I've been there. I need this. Um, maybe I am there right now. But uh, it was just one of those passages that felt hopeful um, and just a good reminder that sometimes even when we aren't feeling it, we can hang on to um, times in the past where we felt God meet us or show up or give us a picture of his closeness, his grace, his goodness. So um, this is in Lamentations 3. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember. The feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember, and in remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. So, we're just going to sing a few songs together, and um, yeah, we hope that it can create a space for you guys to engage maybe with what God might be saying to you or encouraging you with today. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words could say. I need you more than you know I need you Lord. I need you more 
the character and the nature of God that is already deposited in our hearts. God, I pray that we would be people who are fully alive. God, that we would see ourselves wonderfully and beautifully made, pinned in before and behind. God, and would you stay with us in the good and the bad? Would you be the constant? Would you be the thread weaving together this tapestry of our lives, God? Even in our community, would you weave us together? Would you make something beautiful out of all these disjointed parts? God, I pray that we would just sense your presence in real ways in our life, God. Not even just the glorious, miraculous ways that sometimes we imagine God might be like, but in the simple everyday moments of your beauty when we choose to be quiet and listen, when we choose patience, when we choose the well-being of our neighbor over our own. God, when I take the time to listen to my kids instead of getting frustrated with them, would I find you in those moments, God? When you give us strength to have ears to hear someone else's perspective and see it from their eyes, God, would we find you in those moments? Keep transforming us into who you made us to be, God. We love you so much. You are so good. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. Welcome to the table, especially if you are new here. We're so glad that you could be with us. So uh, tonight, we are beginning part two in our series titled Epiphany, A Radical Invitation. And the whole idea uh, of this season of Epiphany in the Christian calendar is, is basically that it's a, it's a season to follow um, Advent. So Advent, of course, leads us like right up to Christmas. And Advent, that's the season that's all about waiting, waiting for the birth of Christ. Um, the kind of metaphor, the image there is receiving something from God that we could not give ourselves. Uh, so that's Advent. Epiphany, on the other hand, is basically an extended season of reflection after Christmas. And it's a reflection on the story of the Magi who visited Christ as a child. Uh, and they were not so much in a spiritual posture of waiting, uh, Instead, they were in the posture of going, of seeking out Jesus, and then worshiping and living and loving differently in light of that encounter. Uh, so that's the, um, the season we're in and the series that we're in. So the title of my message uh, this evening is The Two Scorecards. The Two Scorecards. And uh, we have uh, a few scriptures tonight that I'd like to begin with. The the first is an ancient prophecy about Christ. This is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, and by the way, the, there's a term here that's a little bit strange. It's e, uh, Ephrathah, 
Ephrathah, and that means fruitful. All right, so Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. The second passage, this is Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called uh, together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. That's, of course, an echo back to uh, Micah 5, too. All right, so uh, let me start by just naming uh, my big idea for tonight. So here it is. The way of the world is big people doing big things in big places. The way of God is often invisible people doing quiet things in obscure places. There's a famous story from 1 Samuel chapter 16 that actually has a connection back to Bethlehem. So uh, the story goes that the Lord spoke to the prophet Samuel and told him that he had rejected the current, yet soon to be former, King Saul. And so the Lord told Samuel to go to Bethlehem to visit a man named Jesse because one of his sons would be the new king. So Samuel makes the journey and he gathers Jesse and all of his boys uh, under the pretense that he wants to offer or conduct some sort of sacrifice. And so the family, you know, they know Samuel, he's a very holy man, a, a famous prophet. And so the family all gathers for uh, the sacrifice with this esteemed prophet. Uh, but of course, Samuel's mind is anywhere but the rituals and um, and the holy words for the sacrifice. His mind and his eyes are evaluating Jesse's sons. And the Bible says that Samuel's eyes fell uh, upon Eliab. So apparently Eliab, you know, he looked like a leader. You know how some people have that 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 certain maybe it's a charisma or a charm or that air about them that says I will be successful at whatever I put my mind to. <laughs> well, apparently that was Eliab. So Samuel's kind of scanning all the boys. Uh, Jesse had a lot of sons, so he's scanning all the boys. His eyes fall on Eliab, and uh, Samuel sees him and sort of whispers like this prayer to God, this kind of conversation. And this is what he says. He says, "Surely." This is him. Uh, but then God speaks in the quiet of Samuel's mind and says this. Do not look at his stature or his physical appearance, for I have not chosen him. And then the Lord continues with this beautiful line. He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. What, what does that mean? It's saying um, that we look to the outer person. And I'm going to take that more than just literally their you know, faces or something. But it's 
Uh, I mean, it is, it could be their, their faces, their bodies, their clothes, their hair, but also things like their status, their, their location in the social hierarchy. This is what we do. It's quite instinctive. Uh, we do it without thinking. We are all natural born judgers. Anyone who says, I'm not, I'm not really a judgmental person. Yeah, you're, you're lying. Uh, we, are all, we are all judgmental. We all make snap decisions about people. I mean, within seconds, we've like evaluated them and kind of categorized and ranked them and kind of know like, okay, is this someone I need to like, you know, kind of defer to here or am I, you know, this is like, we're always, we're always doing this. Um, and that's what it means to look at the outward appearance. But apparently God does not see like we see. When God looks at us, he does not see our net worth, our rank at work, our GPA, the, the fancy or not so fancy neighborhood we live in. God doesn't see what others say about us, the awards, the trophies, the, the status symbols we have wound around ourselves. God doesn't look to the outer person. Where does God look? God looks straight to the inner person. It's what today we would call the, maybe the soul. Have you ever known someone of great love, of great character, someone who you just knew had, had a certain depth dimension in them, a rootedness, a humility, a quiet strength, and you, you just knew it had grown from their connection to God? If so, then you have some idea of what it is God is seeing, how it is God sees. See, the way of the world is big people doing big things in big places. The way of God is often, not always, but often invisible people doing quiet things in obscure places. Here's another story about Bethlehem. There were these magi, these pagan magicians, these astrologers, watchers of the stars, and they discerned the sign. It was this new star in the sky leading them west. And so on and on and on they journeyed for weeks, uh, perhaps months, seeking this new king of the Jews, this baby that they somehow knew would be one of, if not the single most significant people ever to be born. And the whole time they're following this star. Now, I've never navigated by the stars. I'm just more of a Google Maps guy, but uh, I imagine um, I imagine it's not like a precise science. I imagine it's more kind of okay. I uh, I'm I'm headed in the in the right direction, like generally of whatever I'm seeking, um, which is why these wizards they can be forgiven for being off by nine miles. Did you catch that they were off? Where did they go first? Let's take another look. This is our, our text. This is verse uh, one and two of Matthew chapter two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the kind of region of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to where? Jerusalem. So he's born in Bethlehem and they went to Jerusalem and then they get there and they ask, uh, where, where is he? Where, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we're here. We have come to worship him. Uh, so what's going on? You see, these magi, they went to the place 
that anyone in their right mind seeking the new king of the Jews would go. Jerusalem. They went to the big city with its big people doing big things. But they were wrong. They were wrong by nine miles. Jesus was born in rural, dusty, unpretentious Bethlehem. And its ancient location was nine miles south of Jerusalem, which is why the Magi can be forgiven. I mean, if you're following the star, again, you're probably lining it up and you're saying, okay, so Jerusalem looks slightly off from where the star is pointing, but I mean, surely, <laughs> right, fellas? It's, it's got to be. Uh, and I imagine like if this took place in our kind of day and age in the Magi, they would be following the star towards Dallas and they get close and they're like, it, it almost looks like it's pointing to sexy. That, that can't be right. It's got, it's got to be Dallas, the big city. Like, what, what was happening? They were seeing the way human beings see. They're interpreting the way human beings interpret. They're looking for an amazing person. And so they go to the nearest amazing place because the way of the world is big people doing big things in big places. And of course, it's not just them. It's not just the Magi or Samuel the prophet. What do we do? What do we assume? We assume that because this is how the world works, then God must work the same way too. We, we assume that God sees how we see. This is actually one reason um, that I, I just I find the Christian story so compelling. And so beautiful because it's it's just not the way human beings left to their own devices would write the story. It's it's too upside down. It cuts against the grain of everything we stand stand for. I mean, especially in Texas, we we like big big people doing big things in big places, right? And and by the way, saying you know I'm a Christian or I'm a spiritual person, um, that's like not the hard part, um. That's that's like buying a Hyundai and then swapping out the hood ornament for a BMW logo. Um, you might fool people like me who don't know their cars, but a knowledgeable person is definitely going to see through that. Uh, no, no, no. What's much harder is to have a clunker and then go through the painstaking process of, of rebuilding the engine. And that's what true Christian spirituality is all about. Christ is not interested in you and I slapping a Jesus hood ornament on the car of our metaphorical life. He, he's interested in rebuilding the engine. You say, well, what do you mean by the engine? I mean, the inside of us, our motivations, our values, our desires, our loves, who we love, how we love. He did not come to give us cosmetic surgery to pretty us up on the outside. He came as the great physician offering all of humanity heart surgery, soul surgery. This is what being a Christian is. It's signing up for the difficult process of having our absolute obsession with being externally bigger and better and greater and it's having all of that turned upside down. Or perhaps I should say inside out, because we go from being obsessed with becoming better out there in this, this kind of, in the outward appearances to slowly becoming obsessed with who we are becoming 
in here. Right? The, the way that Jesus put it uh, once is he said this, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Right? That's what Jesus is all about. Not, not who you are on the outside. Remember, we look at the outward appearance. Where does God look? At the heart. So his question is, who are you becoming on the inside? Are you more patient than you were a year ago? Are you more honest, more courageous, more kind? I listened to an interview recently with um, Dr. Jim Lair. He is a performance psychologist who has worked with hundreds of the best, just the, the best athletes in the world um, across like a variety of sports from tennis, basketball, golf, to even Olympians. Uh, and, and not only has he worked with like people in these domains, um, but he's worked with like the best of the best. Uh, we're talking like Olympic gold medalists. Um, even in tennis, he's worked with Roger Federer and Monica Seles, who are both, you know, have been number one uh, in their respective um, uh, kind of in, in tennis. Um, so, I mean, these are like big people, big names. Uh, but he noticed a trend and he, he described it this way. He said that he worked with people who reached the top of their field and they would have uh, conversations with him after they won the big match or the game. And now they were um, you know, Super Bowl champion or NBA champion or gold medalist. And they would meet with him because he was their, their performance psychologist. And they would meet with him afterwards. And they would say something like this. Um, I, I don't feel any different. Like, I, I thought I would feel complete, uh, somehow at peace. Like, th this has been my dream for so long. And now I'm here, and it's all sort of empty. But then Dr. Lair said he would talk with other people who also reached the top of their field, but they were so happy. Uh, but he noticed they were happy before they became, you know, number one or Olympic champion or whatever. And so he became uh, quite obsessed with figuring out, well, wh why, why on earth? Like, how is it that people could end up uh, in these two very different places? And eventually he figured it out. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, I came to understand that we all, all human beings, we all have two scorecards. The first scorecard is about our outward success. And, and that's where society tells us to focus. But there is a second scorecard. And it's actually the more important scorecard. The second scorecard is an internal scorecard, and it's about our character. What kind of people are we becoming? He said the first group, the, the unhappy group, they were more inclined, he found, to ignore or even sacrifice who they were from an integrity and character standpoint in order to make it to the top of the first scorecard. In other words, they, they were going to get to the top regardless of whether or not they had to lie, cheat, tear others down on their way up, like whatever it took. Whereas the second group, they had such joy because they were winning on their own internal character scorecard, which meant they could be at peace 
with whatever happened externally. And so I'm listening to this interview with Dr. Lair, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, my goodness, this is what the Bible has been naming. I mean, think back to our texts. Man looks at scorecard number one, the outward scorecard, but God looks at the inner scorecard. Or think back to Jesus' quote. What good is it to climb to the tippy top of scorecard number one? but to be the worst kind of failure at scorecard number two, right? Gaining the whole world, losing the soul. You see, the way of the world is an obsession with the first scorecard, but the path of Christ, it's a switch. It is a new orientation towards the second scorecard. It's a new orientation towards who we are becoming um, who we are becoming on the inside, right? Uh, our character, our integrity, our love. It, it's what has been called down through the centuries, our Christ-likeness. In other words, how deeply we embody the radiant love of the God we've come to know in Jesus. So am I saying that um, big things are bad? That being an outward success is bad? That scorecard number one is evil? Um, no, no, I'm not saying that. In fact, you may even find that getting your internal world properly oriented, heck, that might even help you externally. Um, so no, I'm not saying that being a big person doing big things um, in big places or something, that that's, that's somehow inherently bad. Uh, what I'm saying is don't obsess there. Instead, focus here. Focus on the second scorecard. Because when we embrace that switch, then we can begin to embrace simply being us. Like that's, that's the greatest thing to be ourselves. Isn't it amazing how we spend our whole lives trying to be comfortable being us? And, and let's be honest, um, you know, most of us are pretty invisible. Like all things considered, we're very tiny people in the world. And, and most of us work in relative obscurity, doing quiet and mostly unseen things. But God sees. God sees your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your kids. They see. They know how you are doing on your internal scorecard. And perhaps most importantly of all, you see, you know. So I'll close with this. Dr. Lair, he also does an exercise with people where he says, uh, you have 30 minutes and five words. Choose the five words you would want on your tombstone. Go. And he said, it's absolutely remarkable because no one ever chooses words that align with the externally focused scorecard number one. Uh, no one ever says, okay, five words, um, CEO, <laughs> or world champion, or number one in sales. <laughs> um, what words do they choose? It's always character words and relational words integrity, faithful friends.
friend. Kind. Courageous. So although the whole culture is just pushing you, pushing, I mean, especially through advertising, um, there's so much social pressure just to try to get you to obsess with who you are on the outside. Don't do it. Don't give in. Obey Christ. Keep your focus within. Because that's the scorecard that really matters. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we want to we want to live focused, intentional, meaningful, beautiful, Christ-like lives. Or that's that's what we want to do. We don't want a Christianity that's that's just a bunch of um, outward rituals uh, that that somehow don't produce actual transformation. God, we want to be like you, full of grace and kindness and truth and goodness. God, when when people interact with us, we we want them to just get the sense that. Um, they've been with someone who loves them really well. God, we want to thrive in our second scorecard. And so God, right now in our sane moment, God, hear our prayer that we want to thrive on our second scorecard. And when we become, um, when we get pulled out of our minds, when we get pulled into the ways of the world, God, and we start to obsess and worry about scorecard number one, would you just bring us back to what matters? God, remind us by your spirit. And we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Don't be discouraged, oh, I realize it's hard to take courage in a world full of people. You can lose sight of it all in the darkness inside you, can make you feel small.
from the movie Trolls, I think. I don't know if it was originally from there, but that was beautiful. And um, thank you all for joining us so much. And um, we hope that we can continue to connect with you in other ways throughout the week that are significant and meaningful. If you have a need, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can send us a Facebook message or you can email us at the Table TX. Um, you can go on our website and get more information on meetups who meet throughout the week um, and um, connect either virtually or some of them um, try to get some in-person meetings as well. Um, but please don't hesitate to let this reach beyond a Sunday evening slot. Um, if you need community or friendship or a listening ear, we want to be there for you. Um, another great way to connect. We're so excited to say that um, after taking last month off with the holidays and everything, our book club is back at it and we'll be meeting for the first time this year, February the 6th. Um, that's a Saturday morning. We're going to meet virtually this month um, so or next month, but um, this time around, we're going to meet virtually and you can get the link for that, but you can um, either comment below and Sarah, who is one of the leaders of the book club. Also, Glinda Bayron is one of the leaders of that book club. Um, she shared a couple of weeks ago here um, her story. So um, those ladies will reach out to you, but you can comment here below. You could also um, um, email Sarah, which is S-A-R-A at the tabletx.org. Um, so feel free to use one of those methods to reach out and get more information. I believe she's not only going to post the links for that, but as well, um, she will post the link for the book that they are going to be reading for this month. It is called The Vanishing Half. And um, I heard from her earlier that she's already read the first half and said it's really good. So um, join us. We would love to have you there. Um, all people are welcome. And um, on that note, I'm going to send you out, I was going to say with a benediction, but this is more of a blessing. As Brett was sharing, I could not help of thinking of um, what Jesus spoke in the words in Matthew 5 about um, those who are blessed. So I'm going to go ahead and actually read this from um, the NIV. This is Matthew chapter 5. It says, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. May you have a blessed week and find yourself in the category of people who are able to see and find God even in the midst of hard times or obscurity or smallness. We love you. We are with you and behind you. Good night.